0: Uh, Please turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at that passage which is in your bulletin. But we're going to be working from Matthew chapter 5 verses 33 through 37. We have been studying the fruit of the spirit this summer. uh, And we've been looking at those nine qualities uh, that God works into the lives of people who believe in him. Uh, We said this at the very beginning of our study, but it's important for us to keep coming back to. uh, These qualities are not things that you need to do or the life that you need to live in order to get God to love you. Okay, that's not it. Uh, It is rather the life that we live because God loves us. Because he has given us his spirit and because he has put the spirit of Jesus Inside of the Christian, uh, what begins to happen is the Spirit begins to shape your life into the character of Jesus. That's what begins to blossom uh, in your life. What does it look like? Like Well, it looks like fruit. It looks like specifically the fruit of the Spirit. And each, summer we, or each week this summer, we've been taking one fruit and we've been uh, talking about it. This morning, however, we're going to mix it up a little bit and we're going to take two fruits. Of the Spirit. We're going to look at goodness and faithfulness this morning and take them together. Why? Well, because I've said this last week, it's the fruit singular of the Spirit, not fruits plural. And, and basically I say that because that means that they don't come out of our lives individually. that the fruit of the Spirit come out together, they grow together, in a person's life and life, and so that means that there's lots and lots of overlap uh, between these. If you've been here this summer, you've picked up uh, on that fact, that is especially true of goodness and faithfulness. These two words, goodness and faithfulness, are very closely related. The word that Paul uses here for goodness uh, is a word that has to do with integrity has to do with integrity, being the same person in every situation. Being the same in public as you are in private. The word faithfulness here that Paul uses has to do with dependability or loyalty or reliability. It's someone who keeps their word and someone who is trustworthy. Questions like, uh, are we the kind of people that are there when we say we're going to be there? Are we uh, the kind of people that can be counted on to keep our commitment when something better comes along? Are we the kind of people that follow through even when it hurts or costs us something? Those are the kinds of questions that we're going to be answering this morning because goodness and faithfulness have to do with living a life of honesty, And integrity. And so we're going to consider them together this morning. And to do that we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5. 37 uh, and following. So let me read first off the fruit of the spirit. And then we'll read Matthew chapter 5. This is God's word. Galatians 5.22 and 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Against against such things there is no law. And now Matthew chapter 5 verses 33 through 37. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall never swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, Or by the earth, for it is the footstool, his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask God to come through his spirit and to help us. And apply this to our lives this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we do come from lots of places this morning. Um, Some of us have had really good weeks. And we're on top of the world, so to speak. Others of us are really discouraged. Some of us have had really bad weeks. And... We've had things that have hit us, that have come out of nowhere, and we find ourselves just simply trying to get our feet up under us. Others this morning, if we're honest, are, are bored. We're bored with Christianity, we're bored with you, we're bored with life. And so, Father, we're asking that you would come through your spirit and wake us up. That you'd come and jar us so to speak, and uh, give us encouragement if we need encouragement, give us joy if we need joy, Um, Lord help us to see why this really matters for us, Lord more than anything as you show us our own hearts, I pray that it wouldn't drive us to despair, but it would drive us to Jesus, and so would you do these things in his name, amen. A lie detector test or polygraph test. I'm sure you're familiar with those or at least know what they are, but do you know how they work? If you think about how those tests work, it's really fascinating to think about. Uh, They work because they, they, they measure your heart rate or your blood pressure or your respiratory rate or even how sweaty your hands get when you get asked a particular question. And generally speaking, when you are not speaking the truth or you're speaking a lie, those things get elevated in a person's life. When you lie, your body experiences stress and anxiety, and your heart rate starts to beat a little faster. You start to breathe a little faster. Your blood pressure elevates a little bit, and your hands get sweaty. And I don't know about you, but I think that's fascinating. Your body reacts negatively. When you don't tell the truth. And that tells us a lot. Because I think it shows us. That you are built as a human being. In the image of God the Bible says. And you were made. To be a truth teller. That's why your body reacts negatively. When you don't. You were made. To be a person of integrity. And when you don't, it stresses your body out. You see, this idea of honesty and integrity, when we think about it, it's not God. It, it tends to feel this way, but it's not God giving you busy work. We tend to think that God getting really nitpicky and asking us to be holy and be tell the truth in every situation and to be people of integrity, it can feel like busy work, but it's not because Honesty and integrity and truth is the essence of who God is. It's who He is. And He wants us to be like Him. Because we are people created in His image. And in Matthew chapter 5, it's the Sermon on the Mount. That famous sermon by Jesus. And what's interesting is Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount the same thing Paul is doing in the Fruit of the Spirit. Jesus is telling us and showing us what it looks like for someone to follow him and to belong to him. And right smack in the Sermon on the Mount, he starts talking about integrity and honesty. And we've said in the past few weeks that kindness and joy, those are things that the culture really values, so to speak. But when we start talking about integrity, well, not so much. It's not quite as exciting or interesting, but it is deeply challenging and convicting. This is a very deeply and convicting fruit of the Spirit, but it is one of the marks of someone who belongs to Jesus and what Jesus is doing in a person who belongs to him. And so this morning, the theme uh, that we're going to look at is living a life of integrity. Three questions. What does that mean? Secondly, why do we like it? And thirdly, how do we get it? So what, why, and how this morning? So let's look at number one. What does it mean to live a life of integrity? Well, these are three sub-points if you're a note-taker. And the first one is this. Living a life of integrity means that we tell the truth. Look at verses 34 and 36. In Matthew chapter 5, at first glance, when you see that, it appears that Jesus is against vows and taking an oath. Uh, But we need to dig a little deeper here to get at exactly what Jesus is saying. We need to understand the original context. And in the ancient Near East, people would often invoke a name or invoke an authority... In order to make a vow or a promise. Let me try to explain. It's much like we would say something like, I swear on my mother's grave. They would do things like that. And sometimes the vows might start off real small. And they would say something like, I swear by my own head. They wanted to take it up a notch and get a little more serious. They would invoke the name of something greater or something closer to God. That's where you get our passage. I swear by Jerusalem. By God's city. You wanted to take it up another notch. I swear by the earth. By God's world or footstool. And yet even more. if You wanted to get really serious. You would say I swear by heaven. Which is God's throne room. You see these were. There were levels of truthfulness. Created. That were, that, that were created based on the importance of what was being promised. And your commitment to the promise. See, people thought if it was less significant that you could break the oath, no problem. But if it was uh, to the throne room of heaven, then you certainly did not want to break it. And so it's easy to think that Jesus is saying here, do not ever take an oath. But what he's actually saying is that all the promises that you make, all the oaths that come out of your mouth are under the authority and the accountability of God. And so he's actually raising the stakes here because Jesus is saying there should not be levels of truthfulness for God's people. Instead, every single word that comes out of our mouth is like a vow to someone. It's like a vow, and it all carries the same weight and has the same power. Let me say it another way. Your words, your yes and your no, Jesus is saying, in everyday life should be given as if you are taking an oath in a courtroom. What comes out of your mouth should always represent what is true and not what is false. Everything that you say and do should be consistent with reality. Okay, so words. Obviously, telling the truth is an important part of integrity, but it obviously means a lot more than that and is broader than that. And so that leads to the second... Subpoint. A life of integrity means that you are reliable and dependable. It means that you can be counted on to do what you say you're going to do. Therefore, you lack integrity when you don't keep a commitment. That's a lack of integrity. What let's think of some examples of that. Let's say that you a couple ask you to go out to dinner uh, in, in a couple weekends from now. Well, between now and then. Another couple invites you to their lake house for the weekend. That's lot, that sounds a lot better to you than dinner. And so you either shade the truth and make something up so that you can get out of the dinner commitment so that you can spend the weekend at the lake house. You see where this is going? That's a lack of integrity. Or Youth. You got plans with your friends for the football game on Friday night. And in the meantime, you get a call from either a more popular group of friends or a boy, perhaps, if you're a girl, you get a a call from a, a boy wanting to go out on a date. And so you call the Friday night football crew and you say something like, you know, I've been thinking I got this really big test early next week. And I really got to study tonight. I'm not going to be able to make it to the football game. All the while, you're going to do something different, something better in your mind. And it gets even worse and more awkward when you go out and you actually run into the people (laughs) that you canceled on. It's painful, isn't it? You know why it's painful? Because... It's painful because you don't think that person is worthy of receiving the truth. And when doing so, you actually make that person feel less than human. If you've ever had that happen to you, you know how that feels. See, we've all done things like that and not gotten caught. But it is a way in which we lack integrity. Thirdly, the third bullet point is a life of integrity means that we're consistent Uh, It means that uh, you are the same in private as you are in public and vice versa. Think about these companies that endorse professional athletes. They don't care what those athletes do in private. I can assure you. What do they care about? They care about their public persona. They care about what they do in public. God is completely the opposite. God cares about what you do in public and private, and He wants it always to be the same in both arenas. Think about it. Some people uh, are really moral and really religious in private. They walk in here on Sunday morning with holding their Bible. They're answering the questions in their KC, but take them on Monday through Saturday in the business world, and they're ruthless, and they're mean. And they shade the truth. And they're dishonest. Just like everyone else in their industry. That's a lack of integrity. Or maybe it's opposite. Maybe uh, it's the person that's really sweet and kind in public. But you get them behind the closed doors of their home. And there's anger. And there's explosion. And there's meanness and coldness and abuse. That's a lack of integrity. And we see it socially too, don't we? We act one way with one group of friends and even talk a certain way with one group of friends and we're totally different and talk and use a different vocabulary with another group. And God says, integrity means, and what I'm calling you to, is to be the same with everyone, wherever you go, whether it's public or private. Secondly, why do we lack integrity? Okay, why, why don't we have it? Why is it hard for us? Why do we struggle? Well, I think Psalm 15 is very helpful here. Psalm 15 gets at the why, and I've got it on the screen, and you can just follow on the screen, but it's a great psalm for you to look up later. It gets at the why we lack integrity, and notice all the... Uh, the references to truth here. Verse 1 begins with a question that the rest of the psalm really answers. Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Verse 2, the one who walks blamelessly, does what is right and speaks the truth. Verse 3, the one who does not slander his tongue with his tongue. Then here's verse 4 is where I want us to focus Particularly, verse 4 the person who speaks the truth to his own hurt or swears to his own hurt and does not change. Man, that is very, very challenging. It says the person who can dwell with God is the person who can swear to his own hurt. What does that mean? Let me translate. You know, the reason why we lack integrity is because we don't want to hurt. It's because we don't want to suffer in any sort of way. And by suffering here, I mean uh, we don't want something to be taken away from us that we deem very precious and close to us. And let's play this out a little bit because it really is true when you start working that out. We do not want to hurt, which is why we lack integrity. Think about uh, a schoolwork. If you're a student, why do we lack integrity in our schoolwork? We don't want to suffer. We don't want to take a lower grade because that would hurt us and cause suffering. Why are we dishonest in business? Well, we don't want to suffer a different lifestyle than we're used to. And so we shade the truth because it would cost us to be honest. Why do we exaggerate stories about ourselves in order to make ourselves look better? Well, because what we deem precious to us is what? Having people think we're great. And so we shade the truth or exaggerate a story in order to protect our image rather than suffering the loss of it. And it informs all of our conversations. But think about our social media presence. Have you ever seen anyone struggling on a social media post? <laughs> or suffering, really? No. Because what is happening is social media, our presence is often a very sophisticated PR campaign in order to manage people's perceptions of us. And so we do that because we would rather misrepresent ourselves than to suffer the loss of our image. What about the Friday night, something better comes along scenario? Why do we... Often, if something better comes along, do we either lie to get out of the commitment or simply cancel it? Well, we do that to one degree or another because of the fear of missing out. We don't want to suffer missing out. It's what college students call FOMO. <laughs> you don't want to miss out. That, you have to suffer something because you can't do something. College students, why when your parents ask you about your weekend... Why do you shade the truth about what really happened? Well, because you don't want to suffer the consequences. C.S. Lewis has a great essay called um, The Inner Ring. If you haven't read it, it's worth your time. You can find it uh, online. But it's basically about how we so want to be in with the right people. Uh, and, and we live our whole lives struggling to be in with the right crowd. It's something that never stops. And it's something that is so precious to us, running with the right people, that we're, it causes us to do some really mean things if it ever gets threatened. Meaning if there's ever a threat of us being on the outside rather than the inside, then we'll throw people under the bus in a heartbeat or we'll gossip about them, or smudge the truth, or smear their name in some way, in order for us to be in. Why? Because we don't want to be out. Because to be out is to suffer, and to be in is to enjoy. And we want to enjoy, and we don't want to suffer. So let's dig one more level down. If the reason why we lack integrity is because we don't like suffering, um, I think there's, we can dig deeper, okay? And, and, and think about this. We distort the truth because we don't trust God with the reality that he's given us. And so we create our own. Dishonesty and a lack of integrity in our lives begins with a distrust in God himself. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 into the garden. Think about Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. The first temptation has to do with truth, doesn't it? If you think about it. Adam and Eve are tempted and the serpent says, Hey, did God really tell you that you couldn't eat from that tree? Why did God tell you that? That's what the serpent is saying. God is telling you that because your eyes will be open and you'll be like him. In other words, God's lying to you. That's the first temptation. God is lying to you. He's holding you down. You can't trust Him. And so the first temptation was not eating the forbidden fruit. It was believing God out to be a liar. And that means that every sin and our lack of integrity and dishonesty begins with doubting God's faithfulness. It begins with doubting God's goodness to us. And it really is true. Anytime we lack integrity and distort the truth, We are refusing to walk in the reality that God has given us. And what we are in a sense saying is, God, I don't really believe you're going to be good to me in this particular situation. And because I don't believe that you will be good to me, I've got to take control of my life and I've got to manufacture the circumstances and make it a false reality, one that works in my favor. You see that? And so you see, integrity, your integrity, let me say it another way and then we'll close this point. Your integrity in life is revealed when life squeezes you. It's not when things are going well, it's when you have to suffer or hurt. The integrity of your life comes out and is revealed for what it is instead of, let's say, squeezing you, let's say, when life punches you in the gut. Think about Jesus. Jesus is on the cross. He's being squeezed by life. We could say by his own father. And what comes out of Jesus? You remember? Truth. Scripture. He starts quoting scripture. And the question before all of us, what comes out of us this morning when life squeezes us? The works of the flesh? Or the fruit of the Spirit. See, it doesn't take long. It doesn't take much self-awareness for us to see that we lack integrity. And that we're not as good and faithful as maybe we think we are. So what do we do? Okay, what is it? Why we like it? Well, we need to figure out how we can get it. So let's look at that in our last point this morning. How can we get it? How can we live a life of integrity? Well, first, it means that you've got to have integrity with yourself. Another way to say that is you've got to start being honest with yourself. And, you know, what's the biggest criticism you get that Christians often get are religious people? Those Christians are nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. You ever heard that? I hear that a lot. Actually, I love when people say that uh, to me. Uh, I'm kidding. Um, But people see the way a Christian lives and they see a gap between their public life and their private life. Right? They see them on Sunday morning acting one way, but yet they see them living differently Monday through Saturday. Hang with me here. But one of the ways you know you're not a hypocrite is that you know you are one. Here's what I mean. Real hypocrites have no idea that they are one. They get really defensive when you call them a hypocrite because they have never have been one, and they certainly aren't now. That's how you know a hypocrite. It's like what C.S. Lewis says, if you think you're not conceited and proud, then you're very conceited and proud indeed. (laughs) Same thing with hypocrisy. If you say you're not a hypocrite, then you're a big hypocrite, bigger than you can imagine indeed, as Lewis would say. The way you know you're becoming a person of integrity is that you realize integrity is something that you're not familiar with. Because you see the standard that God's called us to. And you start to realize that integrity is a new thing for you. That's why when people say to me, You Christians, you're nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. I'll say, you're exactly right and you don't know the half of it. And Jesus loves us anyway. That's why the gospel is such good news. You see, whether you're a Christian this morning or a non-Christian this morning, we're all hypocritical in some way, shape, or form. None of us live consistently as consistently as God calls us to live. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, and you're saying, well, the Bible's not my standard anyway, so I, I can't, I'm can't." i okay, I'm, I'm not hypocritical. Well, you've got a standard if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. Let's say the standard is yourself, and what you say the rules are. Well, with all due respect, you do not live consistently to your own standard either. And so when people say, the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites, I'll say, you're absolutely right and we've got room for one more. Why don't you come join us? Why don't you come join us? You see, because when we come here, we realize over and over and over on Sundays that Jesus loves us anyway. And that's why the gospel is such good news. So you'll never move out of dishonesty into integrity unless you see the hypocrisy of your life and see that even if it's to a lesser degree, you still struggle with living consistently. And then lastly, how do we get it? Well, not only do we need to be honest with ourselves, but we need to remember the gospel. Uh, And the gospel is uh, the source of, of goodness and faithfulness in a person's life. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit. It's not your fruit. This comes from within you. And if you look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 and following, you can look this up later, but it's a very interesting passage that talks about God taking a vow or an oath. And it goes and works itself out and says God took an oath way back in Genesis chapter 12 to a man named Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, God meets Abraham and makes a promise. And if you know the story, he looks up at the stars and says, you see all these stars? I'm going to make you into a great nation even more than these stars. And Abraham says to God, how can I be sure uh, about that? And God on that day makes an oath or a covenant or uh, with him. And back then, they wouldn't bring a piece of paper and have you sign it. They would do what is called cutting a covenant. And so what people would do is they would cut an animal in half and they would separate it and they would both walk through it. As if to say, if we break this covenant, this promise, this vow, if we break our word, let what happened to these animals happen to us. Well, on this day, something interesting happens. The animals are cut in two and set apart, but only one person walks through. And it's God. God walks through Uh, The animals as if to say, I will do whatever it takes in order to keep my word to you. Because I am a God of integrity. And even if you fail, I will keep my word. I will keep my promise. Even if it means that I am cut into pieces like this animal, I will keep my word to you. So interesting. Abraham must have been terribly confused by this. Because you see, Abraham lived on that side of the cross looking forward. We live on this side of the cross looking back. And we know that wasn't confusing because God was talking about himself many years later. God would take on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and he would head to a cross where he would be torn to pieces because of his people. That means us, our covenant breaking and our hypocrisy. But what's interesting is he's going to the cross. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. You remember this. And he's in agony and in darkness. And he's about to be torn to pieces. And the people that love him the most are breaking their word. They're supposed to be praying. But instead they are sleeping. And God goes to the cross. Jesus goes to a cross and he keeps his promise. And he keeps his word even when it hurt. Even when it cost him his life. And so I say this to you. I don't know what it is that you're going through this morning. But do you see what that means? It means that whatever your reality is. And it could be really serious. Or it could be something really small. Or it seems like you're going to hurt. If God did not spare his only son how will he not also graciously give you all things? If God didn't, if he kept his word, even to giving up his life, it means that you can trust him with whatever you're going through this morning. And so how do you live a life of integrity? Well, you got to own your hypocrisy. And you got to take that and run with that to God. God who promises Uh, And keeps his promises to hypocrites and promise breakers like us. That's what's going to make you a person of faithfulness. That's what's going to make you a person of goodness. Let's pray. Father, uh, we're very thankful that you are a good God and a faithful God. And that you keep your word even when it hurts. Would you help us? We, we want to be like you. Uh, help us to know that we can be honest about our inconsistency uh, because it's your kindness to us that leads us to repentance and actually changes us. And so help us to be a people in our city and in our schools and in our neighborhoods to be people of integrity. Uh, we need your help to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.